seated. And I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 19. We'll be reading both chapters 19 and 20 of Jeremiah. A little bit of a lengthy passage for us to read this morning. Um, but they are, as you will see very quickly, um, very strongly tied together, describing the same event. So we'll be reading Jeremiah, chapter 19. I'll be reading out the New King James Version, as is my custom. God's word declares, thus says the Lord, go and get a potter's earthen flask, and take some of the elders of the people, and some of the elders of the priests, and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words that I will tell you. And say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Israel, of Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle. Because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place, because they have burned incense in it to other gods, whom neither they, their fathers, nor the kings of Judah have known, and have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. They have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I will cause them to fall by the Sword before their enemies, and by the hands of those who seek their lives, their corpses I will give as meat for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth. I will make this city desolate and a hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss because of all of its plagues. I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters, and everyone shall eat the flesh of his friend in the siege and in the desperation with which their enemies and those who seek their lives shall drive them to despair. Then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you, and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Even so I will break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet till there is no place to bury. Thus I will do to this place, says the Lord, and to its inhabitants, and make this city like Tophet. And the houses of Jerusalem, the houses of the kings of Judah, shall be defiled like the place of Tophet, because of all the houses on whose roofs they have burned incense to all the hosts of heaven, and poured out drink offerings to other gods. Then Jeremiah came to Tophet, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on this city and on all her towns all the doom that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their necks that they might not hear my words. Now, Pasher, the son of Emer, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pasher struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And it happened on the next day that Pasher brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then Jeremiah said to him, The Lord has not called your name Pasher, but Magar Misabib. 
For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and your eyes shall see it. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with a sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of this city, all its produce and all its precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah. I will give into the hand of their enemies who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die, and be buried there, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not, for I heard many mocking. Fear on every side. Report, they say, and we'll report it. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, Perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him. We'll take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my case before you. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father, saying, A male child has been born to you, making him very glad. And let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon, because he did not kill me from the womb, that my mother might have been my grave, and her womb always enlarged with me. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame. Well, we have sung that there is joy in serving Jesus, and as you, if you are being attentive to our Bible reading, you recognize right away that that joy does not always mean that you are happy. It doesn't always mean that ministry is fulfilling your expectations or that it is productive from a human perspective of what we expect it to produce. Um, And so we're going to try to take our passage today, and certainly we see this theme of Jeremiah continuing, but what we want to focus in on more so than the message that he has repeatedly spoken over and over again, we're going to focus in on the response and its effect upon the preacher. And so this is a little uh, a powerful passage of Scripture where Jeremiah just lays bare his heart, which is not unusual for Jeremiah. But he also, in the midst of that, gives us a strong indictment against the people of Israel that any prophet of God would say these words. And we want to look at those this morning and understand the necessity of God's love being expressed through the ministry of his word, but also the expense 
not only to the sinner, but also to the saint of rebellion against God. Um, What is the drain on the ministers of the gospel, whether they be um, preachers that are as a career, but also recognize that all believers are ministers of the gospel. What effect, and I'm sure all of us have come to these kinds of moments in our life where we ask God um, these questions, or we make declarations comparable to what Jeremiah makes in our passage this morning. But we are going to look at what initiated it, what uh, precipitated it, I should say, out of the uh, prophet's mouth. What is it that would bring him to several statements that concern us? Before we do so, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for the opportunity to look into your word. And as always, we lay ourselves before your spirit and ask that he work mightily in what is said that it might be in accordance with your word of truth and uh, what is heard and how it is received, that we might be tenderhearted, that we might be ready to receive your word, not as the word of men, but as... It comes from your scriptures as the authoritative word of God and that we might acknowledge the need to be obedient to it and to allow it to impact our lives. Lord, our our prayer is that because of our time in your word today that we would walk more closely with you in the days to come. Not just this day, but each day and that every moment we spend your word would draw us nearer to your side and to walk in step with your spirit. And so, Lord, we pray you might guide us in your truth this morning, to your praise and glory, in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, an apt um, passage for us today uh, for several reasons. Um, I have a good friend, a pastor, that um, recently wrote and said that it's been many weeks now that after every sermon... He goes home and says, I can't preach another sermon. And I think that kind of honesty um, is rare because I think that many pastors are in that condition. And there are some reasons for that. Um, Not all of them are their fault, and some of them are. Some of them are looking at the wrong places for... Um, validation of their preaching ministry. When we begin looking at people to validate ministry of the word uh, and their response, we run into this danger. Um, And also, if even if that is dealt with, there is still the tendency to see um, in a rebellious, stiff-necked, society that doesn't want to hear the truth anymore, doesn't even want to recognize that it exists, which remember, we saw that earlier in Jeremiah, that how do we get so bad? Well, we got so bad because a long, long time ago, we said there is no such thing as absolute truth. And they threw out God's word. They didn't want to hear that. And that was where it began the great slide for Israel and for Judah into the point where God's wrath was ready to be poured out on them. And so it's a very easy thing when we try to minister the truth to a society who denies that it even exists to become discouraged and uh, even to stake claim to the fact that it's just time for me to be quiet. 
And it seems that it happens to a lot of pastors in my age bracket, the 50 to 70-year-olds who have ministered and ministered and ministered, and now the idealism and the expectation is used up. And perhaps that's where Jeremiah is in his ministry in our passage today. Um, But we're going to see the necessity of persistence and, and by the way, we see it in some of the New Testament t- men, too, where Paul um, has some statements also that demonstrate a frustration and uh, concern over his ministry and whether there was really any benefit to it at all. What was the point? Um, but we're going to hopefully take a different view of that and also see that it is not only incumbent upon the minister to maintain himself and his perspective, his expectations, but it is also incumbent upon the people to guard this. And I believe that this passage is a strong indictment upon Israel, Judah, in the days of Jeremiah. That when a prophet gets to this point of declaring these kinds of words, we can be assured that his audience is extremely small and is almost always antagonistic. And so, let's look into our passage. Chapter 19, we have the theme again, and and uh, again, I intended to deal with this last week in the potter's wheel, as we went from the potter's wheel to now taking a piece of pottery, and we're taking it to the to the place where pottery is sold, and, and, and uh, the marketplace of that and he takes us he gathers the elders of the people and the elders of the priests remember the elders of the priests would have been his family he is in the priestly family and so this is his family and the authorities of his world he calls them there to that place to the valley of Hinnom, uh, which is uh, again going to have its name changed we've already been told that in jeremiah and we know it today as that new name, the Valley of Slaughter, the Valley of Death, uh, um, and uh, we uh, uh, have called it that for uh, throughout the New Testament period as well, uh, of a place of just burning and of garbage and of and of uh, disease. It just a, a became the garbage pit for Jerusalem, where the Worm does not die and the fire never goes out. And this was the reference. This is the valley that Jesus was referencing. And so here he gathers them in this valley and in the midst of it being transformed from one that is very usable and nice to basically turning it into a graveyard and then into a garbage pit, the valley of slaughter. And so he portrays this and he takes this piece of pottery and as he instructed by God in front of the elders of his people, the elders of the priests, smashes that, which is a very easy thing to do, isn't it? It's pretty easy to bake, bake, to bake, to break pottery. You just have to find something hard and drop it on it, and boom. And so it is not a difficult thing for God to destroy. God exercises wrath, and he can do it in an instant. He can do it at, sheerly at his will. And we have had some great preachers historically that have talked about that whole facet of the impendingness of God's judgment, that there is really nothing that man is or does that can secure himself from that impendingness, that we can't just delay and delay, that we can't put it off by promising God things and like, as if he's going to be fooled by that. Um, 
but rather that we are at any moment in danger of him just letting go. And that's all he has to do. And, of course, the great sermonizer of, of the uh, Jonathan Edwards in the Sinners in the Hands of Your God described that, that you are at, you're on a, a thread that God holds and the flames of hell could lick up and destroy it or God could just let go and you're just there and can drop into the lake of fire at any moment. Um, and it is that impendingness. And this is the picture of the broken pottery, that you are fragile. Man is weak. We, we are unable to save ourselves. We are unable to, to deliver ourselves. And we stand in the hands of God. And all he has to do is drop you. And you're shattered. In Israel, that's all it takes. Judah, that's all it takes is for God to say, I am done and let go. And you are shattered. And you cannot put the pieces back together. You cannot reform it. Um, it is a completed baked piece of pottery. Um, and if you go to the Mediterranean, and one of the fun parts about that was going out on the seashore, and there's broken pottery, just comes up on the seashores. Um, because there's that much pottery broken in the Mediterranean Sea. You almost can't walk on any beach around there without picking up broken pieces of pottery. They're just not worth anything. You can't reuse it other than just throw it out. And so... We find uh, God saying, this is what's going to happen to you. And he has a list of reasons, and we've studied those extensively, and we're going to study them more later on. Of course, we're going to revisit those, but I don't want to spend a lot of time in those, but we see the hideousness of their sin. And we have uh, painted that horrible portrait of the, of the wickedness of a nation that says we're going to do what we want to do. Um, and please just be quiet, leave us alone, and if you don't respond to our pleas, we'll take it a step further. And so this was the message of God for the prophet Jeremiah that day, which sounds an awful lot like what he had to preach the day before, and the week before that, and the month before that, and the year before that, and the decade before that. This time he had an audience of elders. And one of them, the chief governor's son, believing he had authority and he was among the false prophets of that age that were saying, don't listen to Jeremiah. You can trust the temple. You can trust Jerusalem. It's the house of God. God would never let it fall into anyone else's hands. And so this is, this is just... You just got to stop listening to this man and prophesied lies. And so this man gets up and having done his illustration of the pottery, um, great sermon, right? God's going to do this. Here's an illustration for you. Smash. That's what it's going to be like. And it can happen that quickly. It can happen that forcefully. It is that easy for God to destroy you. And it is that enduring once he does it to you. There is no piecing it back together. It is broken, worthless. Great message, and the response is for the son of the ruler to come up. And uh, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, he heard Jeremiah prophesy, saying, says in verse 1 of chapter 20, and he struck the prophet. And so he says, I have an illustration for you. 
you have this illustration you claim from God? Well, here, I'm a prophet of the people, and I have this illustration. He goes up and strikes him. How hard a blow, uh, what kind of blow, we're not told. It strikes him, and, and whether it put Jeremiah down, um, we find him then grabbing him and putting him in the stocks, uh, that public place of, of humiliation, of, uh, of taking away his freedom. He does that overnight. And so Jeremiah, for this is what he gets. This is the applause he gets for preaching that day. Uh, that applause has his face in the midst of it. Um, it then is put into the stocks so everyone can deride him in a public fashion. And he endures it. And then they come and bring him forth. And by verse 3, Jeremiah is brought out of the stocks after a day to cool his heels and to rethink whether he wants to keep pressing this message. And Jeremiah's words are pointed, direct, and intense. He has reflected for a day, a night, on whether to persist in this message, and God gives him a personal message for Pesher. And changes his name. And the name change is really important to our passage. The name change um, is going to be used throughout this. And in fact, it is the name that one of the things that the people of Israel have been chiding Jeremiah with. So let's go down a little bit farther because the very name that is listed there of Magor Mizabib is actually used again in verse 10. But this time it's translated for you instead of giving you Magar Mizabim. It says, For I heard many mocking. Um, they're talking, they're, 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 remember, he's in the stocks, and so overnight he got to hear this. This is what they were saying. This is the kind of words they were using against him. This is the, the ridicule that they had for him. And there it is again fear on every side. That is the name Magor Mizabib. And so one of the things they were saying was, oh, you're the guy that preaches we should be afraid of everything. From every side, we're going to get this. And this is what you keep preaching. And now what's going to happen? Who should be afraid? Us or you? You're the one that stocks. Give us a report. Tell us what's coming and we'll report it. And then they... Watch and make these kind of sneer remarks. Maybe we can induce him. Maybe we can make him talk. And ultimately that we'll prevail against him. Maybe we've finally done what we needed to do to shut his mouth. So he's been hearing this in the stocks. So when he is removed the next day, he uses that exact same phrase and turns it right back at the author of this degradation of Jeremiah. It says, God is going to make this your name. And this we need to recognize and be very careful with, is that God listens to every conversation. What is said in jest and chiding in private, God hears and will hold us accountable. 
And that's why the Bible is very careful to tell us to let our words be few and be carefully spoken, that we don't speak against authorities, that we are careful uh, not to uh, uh, speak too much. The psalmist says, you know, better to keep your mouth closed and be considered wise and open it. And, and, uh, and then everyone knows your foolishness. And we have the expectation that within the church, not let not many of you be teachers. Uh, let it be a few number of you because there is a different level of judgment for them, of expectation by God. And so we have this this careful instruction really through, consistently throughout God's word to be careful with our mouths, what we say. For God is carefully listening. And so here, Judah is chiding the prophet of God, speaking evil of him that God sent to minister his love toward them. And yes, the ministry, the purpose was out of love for them to give them an opportunity to set it right. And instead of responding even kindly or even neutrally to Jeremiah, they respond negatively. The old adage when I was growing up is that every Sunday afternoon there is a roast and the pastor is the object on the way home or at home. And not growing up in a pastor's home, I can tell you that sometimes that was true. That Even before we got home in the car, the pastor's sermon was already under, oh, discussion. <laughs> Say that word. I'm trying to be kind. Um, and we already are critical before we've even gotten home. And the recognition that God hears those words. God heard what was said to Jeremiah by rebellious, stiff-necked people who made fun of him. Not unlike what happened to our Lord when he was on Calvary's cross and the nasty chiding that he received from the elders of Israel. You say, say, you could do this for others, why don't you do it for yourself? Let's see what happens. God remembers those words. And he has remembered that term, fear on every side. And he has now brought that term to bear not on Jeremiah, but on his persecutors. God remembers. And he brings those very words back upon those who declare them. Last night I was able to share some time with Josiah's parents and they're dropping him off here. And if you haven't met Josiah, go meet him. And got to share again the testimony that this was, you know, someone says, if you don't do what we tell you to do, your family will starve. And I use that testimony consistently with people because I have another problem, and it's not starving. It's the other end of the spectrum I have a problem with, overeating, that I'm fighting all the time. Um, Why? Why do I keep rehearsing that? It's been years. It's been years and years because this is the testimony of God to bring the words back onto the heads of those who declare them without thought of what they're saying and who they're saying it to. And so Jeremiah, having received that word now, is instructed by God that you're going to rename this important person among the elders of Israel, and you're going to name him fear on every side because he personally is going to live that out. 
And God is going to preserve him from being killed in the first waves of Babylonian work. He's going to be put into captivity. And it says that you're going to go to Babylon. You're not even going to be allowed to die in this land. You're not even going to be allowed to be buried with your fathers because you're not even going to die here. This is the judgment of God for what you've done. You're not even going to be able to be buried in this valley of Hanom with all the other graves. God's going to wait, take you to Babylon, and kill you there. And if you ever read through some of Old Testament scripture, there is a statement that is made whenever a king dies. What does it say? He was buried with his fathers. And that is a very precious thing in in. Israel, to be buried with your fathers. It is a sign that you are faithful, that God um, is giving you that, uh, even in your death, that privilege of being in the land. And so that's going to be taken away from pasture. You're going to be buried. You're going to be captive. You're going to go to Babylon. And if you think you've escaped it because you got out of the battles, you're going to die there in that land. You're going to be slain there. You're going to be buried there. You're not going to be buried with your fathers. You're not going to be buried in the land of Israel at all. You're going to be in a foreign land. You and your friends, all of the false prophets. And so we see a determination in Jeremiah to take whatever is given. And in a very public fashion, we say, man, there is not a chink in this man's armor. This guy can go up against anybody, anytime. I mean, if you were in the public forum... The guy just got into the stock, got smacked, put in the stocks overnight. The next day comes out and he's just raring to tear into the guy that just slapped him. And from a public perspective, you look at this man and say, he is a solid rock. Does he, I mean, he is hammered hard. I mean, this guy, can anyone deter him? Can anyone stop him? He is just plowing and, and, um, He's just going to bulldoze people. (laughs) And it is very easy when confronted with this kind of ministry to think that he is unshaken inside. And so Jeremiah, having exploded in this judgment upon Pasher, the one who struck him and placed him in stocks, now exposes himself to us by allowing us to listen to his heart in his conversation with his Lord. And for all of the strength and the power and the determination that we see in his declarations in in chapter after chapter of Jeremiah, we are also given insight that this outward ministry is backed not by some overwhelming, strong personality or will, but rather by a necessity that God provides. 
And so he takes us through the path of what's going on in his heart. And his first statement to God is, you prodded me into this. He says, you induced me and I was persuaded you make me say these things, essentially, and, and you, you, I have to obey you, I'm your servant, I'm your follower, I'm your prophet, and you have given me this assignment, and I will do this assignment, and so I am proclaiming your truth to people, I'm doing it consistently, and all I'm getting is derision, all I'm getting is attacked, I'm getting all of this, and um, every day I'm getting mocked. I shout out against their sin, I point to their sin, their violence, their plunder. And why? Why do we do it? Not because it's the only thing in our thoughts, it's the only thing that we want to talk about. It's not because the prophet is mean, it's not because he is angry, it's because the word of the Lord was made to him. He says, the word of the Lord is made to me, and, and it's a reproach and a derision daily, but I have to speak it, and I've tried not to, he says. And this is the first statement that concerns us. Verse 9, and this was a statement that um, I studied very early in my ministry. When a prophet says, I really, I'm going to, I'm just going to stop, because people don't want to hear it. And that goes through the mind of almost every minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's gone through your mind. People just don't want to hear it. I'm just going to zip my lip. Why start an argument? Why create another enemy? I'll just be quiet and let them go to hell. It's what they want anyway, so I'll just allow that to happen. And this, Jeremiah, has come to. If you think that this pastor or any other pastor hasn't spoken these words or made this determination, um, you're an error. I remember going into, when I was on a national board of mission agency, that I was sent there twice a year for meetings, and every time before I left, I had to promise my wife that I would not cause trouble. My wife was like, are you going to talk again? Are you going to, are you going to? I was like, no, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to sit there and just vote. I went every meeting expecting just to say, I was determined, I'm just going to sit there, I'm going to vote, I'm not going to say a word, I'm not going to, I'll just sit there, I'll just, I was determined I could do it. Every meeting, I promised my wife, yeah, I'm not going to say anything, it doesn't make any difference, it's just, there's no influence, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. And every meeting I get there, and and I know exactly how he feels when he says, his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it back, and I couldn't. You just can't. It's just got to, and it's got to come out because you cannot hold it in. For the, the minister of Jesus Christ, for the one who wants to proclaim the truth, cannot hold it back. It just, it, it, is, it is who we are. We are agents of a kingdom not made with hands that have the only message of hope and for us to stand silently by and let people do whatever they want or say whatever they want, whatever they want it would be evil for us. It would be evil for me to simply say, well, nobody wants to listen. I'm done. And when a preacher does this and shuts their mouth, 
They're not just done. They're done to death. For the true minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ can't do it. Can't do it. It's not in him. And that's why you see all these pastors that retire, the good ones, the real, the good pastors, they retire. A lot of them get tired. Hence they retire. Because they're weary. But you know what's funny about that? And I have some very good friends. Um, What's funny about that is all those retired pastors, you know what they do after they retire? They fill pulpits. (laughs) They go into churches that are getting ready to call a pastor and they become an interim pastor for six months or for three months or whatever. Or they just fill pulpits and they go speaking at different churches every, every week. They just cannot, cannot do it. They can't be quiet. They can't not preach. And so my good friend David Crandall, who was with Gospel Literature Services and really got me involved with them, uh, you know, retired from that, got involved with AIG, and now he's retired from that. And what's the next thing he does? Well, first thing he does, he's, he's in a pulpit, pulpit filling for a church between pastors. He just got done with that one. And, and he stopped one Sunday preaching there. And guess what he did? The next Sunday he was preaching his pulpit supply for six months in a church in Florida. He messed that up. He should have been in Florida during the winter and in New York during the summer. But anyway, he can't stop preaching. That doesn't mean that we ever, never think of stopping. Because the fact is, we all do. And the pastor that says, every Sunday I get done, I think, I cannot preach another sermon by Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. He says, how can I stop? And we continue. And that kind of a spirit is an indictment. It's not an indictment against the man of God. It's an indictment against those that are listening to him. Or should I say, not listening to him. That a pastor feels that way every Sunday after his sermon tells you that there's something going on in the hearts of his listeners that are comparable to what Jeremiah was experiencing. The pastor's in stocks before the church is empty. He's publicly derided. Instead of carefully heeded. And this is the first result. The first result is a a desire to say, I'm just done. I can't keep doing this. It's just a waste of time. I, I just can't preach another sermon. It's been a while since I've ever said that for myself, um, other than that national meeting, I did that. But uh, in terms of my preaching, there's very rarely has been that, which I think is a credit to this church a bit. Um, But there have been times that I just said, ah, what's the point? I just, I'm done. Why preach anymore? And praise the Lord, I have a wife that just sits there and listens and says, are you done? Because <laughs> I know you're going to preach next Sunday. I know you're going to get up there. Ah! And it's in the heart of every minister, as I said. It's in your heart. That It's just easier just to be quiet. 
in the classroom, in the workplace, with your friends. Why do I have to be the one to say, well, that's wrong, that's not right, that's, you shouldn't be doing that? Or just saying, this is the truth, this is the truth, this is the truth, and people get tired of hearing it, so we think, well, I'll just be quiet. But the true believer, the true follower of Jesus Christ, cannot be quiet, not for long. Because the Spirit of God contends with us. And so, Jeremiah, I'm not going to mention God anymore. I'm not going to speak in his name. I'm not going to do any more prophesying. I'm done. And then he can't. He can't stop prophesying the truth. But that spirit that makes him say this is built on notice. What's it built on? Why did he get that? Verse 10 because of all the mocking he received. Because of all the slander that was thrown at him. Because of all the ridicule. Because of all of that, this is what comes up in his heart. is to say, I'm done. I'm not preaching anymore. I'm doing this because we love the people and we want them to turn from their sin to God and be restored and there's so much wonder and and good things that God can do for repentant people. And so we want to deliver them from the judgment that's sure to come. And, and by God's grace, the prophets are one of those fingers holding that fragile vessel of pottery. And the, the, the prophets are the last touch. They're the last touch of God on his people. And once he takes away the prophets, boom, it's over. There's no more. And when the prophet understands that's his role, he must persist. He cannot sit back and say nothing, for then the condemnation comes upon him. And often we share, when you withhold the gospel from your neighbor, from your family, from your quote-unquote friends, from your co-workers, you are doing them no service but a disservice. You are showing no love for anyone but yourself. For the love of God compels us to share the gospel with them. So Jeremiah can't keep quiet. But I want you to see what's in the heart. We have this brazen, hard, direct declaration against his enemies. That's out there in public. It's powerful and strong. It has a purpose but don't confuse that with what's going on inside and the turmoil that's going on inside the speaker. How can I keep this up? How can I persist? Maybe I should just stop. It's there. It's real. And that's why you should be praying for each other, for your pastors, for your Sunday school teachers, for those Word of Life coaches. I tell our young, every time we have prayer with the children, um, several times I've told them when I specifically direct them to pray, remember your science school teacher, remember your life coach. I usually tell them to remember by name and they never do. They just say, for my coaches, my, you know, but remember them. They are this close to giving up. And maybe because of the stiff-neckedness that you have. And a way to loosen your neck is to pray for them and recognize their intentions. Well, 
Jeremiah recognizes that it's not for him to judge the people, it's for God. God will do that. He recognizes also in verse 12 that the Lord of hosts will test the righteous and see the mind and heart. And so he knows that he has to stand before a righteous, mighty God, and that he is also being tested and judged. And therefore he must persist, lest he see the vengeance of God that's really only intended for the unrighteous. And then it goes even further, and this, I believe, is the ultimate indictment against not Jeremiah, but against the rebelliousness of the house of Judah. When the prophet says, it's not just that I want to be quiet, I wish I didn't even live. I wish I had never been born. And for verse after verse, Jeremiah is going to declare that kind of sorrow. That I had to be born in a time and an age where men did not want to hear the truth when they would strike the servant of God instead of bow the knee to God, that they would put him in stocks and laugh and ridicule him rather than honor and follow after the word of the Lord that he has declared. And the ultimate, this is not just depression, this is a declaration saying that I don't want to see this day. I wish I wasn't on the planet right now. And we have lost this, I think, in our eschatology where we're sitting around waiting for the rapture that we're missing the fact that in between now and the rapture, there are going to be days that we're going to wish that we weren't alive to see the evil perpetrated on this planet that's being perpetrated today. Oh, that we would have this heart. Lord, why do we have to live in these days? Why did we have to be born? Why do we have to see this kind of sin? And you are seeing on a national level in policy, not in practice. It's it's been in practice, but now it's in policy. You are seeing it being enacted in laws to flaunt themselves against the commands and the designs of God. Where's the Christian view of why in the world do we have to live through this? What a horrible thing to be born in this age. And it is. And we need to pour that spirit out before God and say, we know your judgment is coming and we are, it is so near that it's going to be in our days and the wickedness has multiplied and no one wants to hear the truth anymore and Why were we even born in this period that we would see all of this, that we would have to live through all of this? And the conclusion must go back to how he began this series, and that is for a singular reason, a singular reason that we endure, that we recognize that for this cause I was born. For this cause I was born again. For this cause I must persist faithfully in ministry, even during this horrific time of the age, where we're at the verge of judgment, and things are getting ridiculously evil. 
to the point that if you stand up and declare truth, they slap you, throw you into public humiliation, and ridicule you. If you don't think that's going on today in this country, you better wake up. Because every preacher who preaches like me is enduring that in his community. This is where we are. We are on the verge and in the midst of the most heinous period in in ages. And we are on the cusp of God's judgment. And so we join Jeremiah in saying, Oh, cursed is the day I was born. I wish I hadn't been born. To see this day when even the church so-called, even the people of God are sinning and supporting sin in the fashion that they are. But there is one verse I skipped, and you know it's there. There's one reason. Verse 13 says, Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Kind of a depressing passage, right? Overall. (laughs) Wish I hadn't been born. I'm going to shut up. I'm not going to preach anymore, but I have to, but I'm going to get ridiculed for it. The guy's been beaten on. He's been slapped in stocks. He's been laughed at, spit at. Uh, All of that's there. Um, Kind of depressing. And here, in the middle of all of this, we have this weird verse, right? Praise the Lord! Sing to the Lord! Why? Because he will deliver. Notice that. He will deliver the life of the poor from the hand of evildoers. And fundamentally, this is what keeps it going. This is what drives the believer to persist, is recognizing that, yes, judgment is coming, and we're in the midst of some of the worst evil that the planet has seen next to Sodom. And we know what happened there. Um, And remember Lot, every day, what was his heart? His heart was vexed every day, the Bible says. Every day, he looked around and says, oh, what a place is this? Didn't get vexed enough to leave, but he was vexed every day. Righteous lot. And we know what happened to Sodom. He saw it coming. We live in such a place. We have codified sin in our society. And we sit around and say, and we are vexed every day. But in the midst of that, we go, well, there's something more. Because underneath all of that network of evil, there's the core of the gospel. And that core, we praise the Lord for, we sing praises to him, we rejoice in the midst of all of this horrific stuff that's around us, and we press on because God delivers the poor from the hands of wicked men. He still does that today. And we're not talking about, I don't believe here, the poor being referring to your economic standing. I think this goes back to the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There are individuals you will encounter who are in that condition, who are 
of the poor in spirit. That is, they are ready and willing and to consider God's truth, to humble themselves to it, to acknowledge it, to make it their own and become followers of Jesus Christ. And God says, I have delivered their life from the hand of evildoers. And Jeremiah is counted among those. God's delivered him. is going to deliver him again and again from worse than this. But foundationally, why do we keep preaching? Why do we keep sharing the gospel with people? Why do we keep striving to to confront our world with truth? Even though we know that they're going to ridicule it and reject it. Why do we keep putting that out there, that there really is a right and a wrong? Why do we keep doing it? Because in the midst of that, we are searching for the poor in spirit. That God might deliver the one. And that presses us on. I cannot keep silent, for in this place there might be that one that is ready to hear God's truth, though they weren't ready before. I'm ready to go into this environment and be the wet blanket on the party for the sake of that one who might be there ready to hear the truth, to humble themselves to it and be delivered from the hands of evil men. We do it for the sake of God's deliverance over one. And so we sing praises to God. We persist in ministry. We keep throwing the truth out there. We keep confronting people. We keep stirring up trouble. (laughs) We do it. No matter what we promised our wives, we keep doing it. Why? For the sake of someone to be delivered from the hands of evil men because they heard the truth. And for that sake, we will praise the Lord. We will sing to him even in the midst of this, of this almost desperate condition of our hearts saying, I'm going to just shut up and I, it's, I wish I wasn't even born. This is horrible. Why would I, why did I have, why couldn't I miss, why couldn't I be born during the great revivals? I, I would have loved to preach then, you know, thousands of people, you know, Billy Sunday. A third of this country heard Billy Sunday preach. Can you believe that? Over a third of the, heard him personally. That's how, they, they filled stadiums to hear the gospel. Why wasn't I born then? Because God delivers the poor from the hand of the evil in every generation. And there are those who are poor in their spirit, who are ready to hear the truth, and all they're hearing is the cacophony of wicked noise that this world has. That's all they hear. And they need that one trumpeter to come in with a clear note that this is the truth so that they can know the way of deliverance and this is what presses me on in those seasons when I my wife hears me say the words I think I'm done I think I'm done invariably she will at some point when I'm done ranting she will Start listing. You know what she lists? 
She lists some of you. She says, but what about, what about, but look at, and your names are in that list many times. You're making a difference here. You're making a difference there. Isn't that enough? Because we sing to the Lord, we praise his name because he's delivered the life of the poor, singular, from the hand of evildoers. And we get done and we say, yeah, let, the, let those that want to ridicule the truth ridicule it. I'll persist. I will not be silent. I will not give up and I will not go into despair wishing I had never been born, but recognize that this generation, as every generation, needs to hear that God delivers from evil. And I want to encourage and challenge you to persist because yours might be the only voice in some environments. Yours might be the only light in some dark places. Yours might be the only truth some people hear their entire lives. You must speak it. You must live it. You must shine it. For there is no other in their lives. Regardless of whether all their friends ridicule it, that one needs your light to shine, needs your truth, the truth of God to be spoken from your lips because they won't come here and hear it from me. They aren't going to listen to a Christian radio station. They aren't picking up books to read because nobody reads books anymore, let alone this book. They're going to hear it from your mouth or from nowhere. God delivers the poor from the hand of evildoers. Praise his name. Sing to him. Rejoice. Even though men will ridicule you, you're looking for that one to deliver. And don't be surprised if that one becomes two or three or four. We persist for one more. I keep on for one more. To impact one more life, we press on. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for the disclosure that Jeremiah gives of his own heart. Can we find in his words our own weakness? We find within us our own tendencies to be saddened by the rejection that people have of Christ, of their truth, of its authority, not only outside in the world, but in the churches even, of an unwillingness to really search the Scriptures and to see if things are so, and to conform ourselves to them. Regardless of ridicule, regardless of the inconsistencies, that the world sees, but rather that we might Press on. Lord, give us a heart to sing your praises, to praise your name in the midst of this evil world and how they dismiss us so easily. But Lord, we know that they cannot dismiss you without penalty. And so while we do not enjoy 
what we see around us, and we, we know that we are called to be light. And that it is only of supreme value when it is in the darkest places. And so, Lord, we thank you that Jeremiah recognized while we hate the sin around us, we, we must carry on. Lord, help us. We know you will. Your spirit has been given to us to empower us for ministry. That is not dissipated at all over the years. And it is only our sin and our unbelief and our unwillingness to walk with him that limits his work in our life. So, Lord, we know that you have given us a ministry of reconciliation to bring the poor to you for deliverance. And Lord, help us to have our eyes open to that one maybe off in a corner or even a secondary or tertiary hearer that isn't even involved in the conversation but is overhearing it. They might hear from us truth that we might never ridicule your word, your prophets, your teachers, or those that will speak your truth. And we thank you again for the joy in serving you in these dark days. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.